James chapter 1. Um, but before I, I get to the text, I, uh, I want to preface the message this morning by telling you that um, it's, it's pretty much going to be business as usual today. Um, so if you're, if you're here this morning and you're hoping to hear a, a typical um, Easter Sunday message, um, I'm afraid you're probably going to be disappointed in that regard. Um, I, don't, I don't typically do holiday sermons. Um, it's not wrong to do them, and I, I bless those who do. Christ was born, Christ died, Christ is risen. Those are drums that need to be beaten loudly and often. Um, like I said this morning, without the resurrection of Jesus, you know, it just touches so much. It touches everything. And without his resurrection, none of this, none of this matters. None of it makes any sense without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, all of this thing that we do when we gather, it's just pageantry. Without the resurrection, the lives that we live as Christians and the sufferings that we endure and the persecutions that we endure and the joy that we claim as our strength, that's, that's just theater Amen. without the resurrection. The simple fact is, though, that Christ did rise the resurrection of Jesus, historically speaking, is one of the most well-witnessed and well-documented historical events Amen. in all of human history. Amen. It did happen. Yes. He did rise. Amen. And church, we are people of the resurrection. Yes. Amen. If our resurrection isn't secured in Christ, if our resurrection isn't secured in Christ, then as Paul says, we are the most of all to be pitied. Amen. And he's right to say that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's the words of our Lord. Amen. And as, as sure as Christ rose, all of those who believe in him will also rise to be with him. And all those who receive the grace of God who have gone before us who receive that grace by faith, they will rise also to be with Him. Amen. So, you know, we, we gather together Sunday after Sunday and week after week to do one thing, to glorify our resurrected Amen. Lord Amen. And, and to celebrate the certainty of our resurrection with Him. I don't, I don't know that should make you a bit more excited than I think it Amen. does. That's good news. The certainty of our resurrection with Him. Every Sunday then is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday then is Resurrection Sunday. For that matter, every day I get up and my heart's still beating and my lungs are still breathing, every day I'm able to put my own shoes on, that's Resurrection Day. I am alive in Christ and dead to sin. So I, though I live and though I die, yet shall I still live because my faith and my hope is in Christ and that is certain. Amen. Every Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. So I don't typically do holiday sermons. Um, last year um, at Easter, I remember it very well. Um, it was a real struggle for me. My dad, our, our founding pastor, um, he died on Good Friday a year ago. 
and uh, I had to preach his funeral on Monday, and I uh, had to conduct Easter services on Sunday. Preaching and sermon prep on their own are arduous labor Amen. for me. Um, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I get immense joy and, and, and eternal benefit from doing them, but it is really hard work. Um, just the process of preaching, just standing up here like I'm doing right now and just talking to you is, is it, it takes uh, every ounce of strength I have mentally and emotionally to do it. I'm just not an out there kind of guy. This is way outside my comfort zone to do this. And yet this is where God has me and I want to be an obedient son and I had to do that, um, you know, prep, <laughs> prepare, preach. I had to do that two days after my dad passed. And, and I won't lie to you, it was hard. It was very hard. And I, I struggled with a lot of emotions, you know, trying to get clarity of mind and, and so I can meditate on the word. And I couldn't, I just couldn't. And that, that Sunday I preached on... Uh, weeping as ones who have hope, Amen. not as ones, as Paul said, we do not weep as ones who have no hope. Um, and it was, it was at a time, I, I didn't even deviate then to do a topical, uh, timely message. I stayed with what we were doing because if you remember correctly, we were, we, ha we were walking through the Beatitudes at that time and we had just spent three weeks on blessed are those who mourn. And the Lord, little did we know, the Lord was preparing this body for a time of, of grieving and mourning. And so that Sunday morning, I didn't even deviate I still I wasn't a special Easter message. It wasn't. It was. It was what the Lord had had us doing. Amen. We do not weep. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. All of that hope is in Christ. Amen. Church, there are there are times to grieve, and and believe me, I have done it. I've grieved. We've all grieved over things that we've lost, people that we've lost, struggles that we've had, things that we're going through, loved ones that we're wrestling with. There are times to grieve. And if you've walked with the Lord, I mean, if you've really walked with the Lord for any amount of time in your life, you are going to know precious highs. You're going to know what it's like to be on the mountaintop and to think, I cannot get any higher than this. If I could touch the face of God, I wouldn't feel any higher than I am right now because He is just so clearly present with me. And then there will be times and there will be seasons. Amen. 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 You'll have days, you may have months, you may have years where you go through a barren land. And like Paul said, you despair of life itself. Time when you're you're in the desert and you're so thirsty and the well seems so dry. Amen. Time when you'd, you'd give anything just, just to hear God breathe. Amen. I don't want you to talk, just, just breathe so I know you're there and he seems so far away. Times when you know that you've got miles and miles and miles left to walk and your feet are bleeding. But we have 
hope. And it's, it's not a wishful thinking kind of hope, church. It's not a, well, I hope I win the lottery. It's, it's a sure, secured, Amen. certain Amen. hope. Amen. It's the only thing that got me through all of that a year ago. And it's the only thing that gets me through some days now. Amen. I have a hope. Because I know and back then I knew, and I'm going to say with the capital K-N-O-W, I know Amen. that one day I will get to hug my dad again. Amen. Amen. I love that man. Amen. And not only will I get to hug him, but I will get to stand beside him while we worship Christ together. The reason for that is because the grave couldn't hold my Lord. Death has lost its sting. So let all the saints rejoice. Amen. Glory to God. Death has lost its sting. Christ is risen and he is risen to reign. So for the last few weeks, we have been um, in the book of James. That's where the Lord has had us. And, And we've been working through it deliberately. Uh, mining the riches of the wisdom that's contained there. Um, And I don't intend to deviate from that today. (laughs) The Holy Spirit has not told me to change course today, so I'm going to be obedient and as faithful as possible and stay the course in James. So, if you came to hear a typical Easter sermon, you may be disappointed. However, if you came to rejoice in our risen Savior... If you came to enjoy his fellowship and to mine the riches of the wisdom of his word. If you came to find help in your time of need. If you came to hear the word of God preached, then you are in the right place. So let's get to it. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. Or he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay. So just by a, a way of recap from last week, we see in these few verses, um, 18 through about 25, um, a kind of a mini-theology that James is giving us on Christian living, what it is to live a Christian life. 
In verse 18, we are brought forth by the word of truth. And James is speaking about when he says that we are brought forth, he's speaking about the new birth or being born again, uh, in the nature of the new believer, the new, the new creation in Christ. And we, we can draw a line through that. The word that saves in verse 18, we covered that last week. We can draw a line through that to verse 21, and we see the word that sanctifies the word, or the word that cleanses. And we can draw a line through that to verse 22 to see the word that secures. Now we'll spend our time focusing on verse 21 this morning. The word that sanctifies, cleanses, washes. So let's read verse 21 again. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Okay. Now... If you've been here very long at all at this church and you've heard me preach very many sermons, you should know exactly what we're going to do when we come to verse 21, and it starts with, therefore. We know that James is making an argument, and our task then is to determine what the therefore is there for. What is it there for? So let's, we got to back up. We got to we got to do some backtracking. Let's go back to verse 19. James says, "Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God." Now, we we looked at those two verses uh, in depth a, a couple weeks ago. And I I needed to do it that way, kind of take them a little bit out of order because I didn't want to pause in the middle of this, this group of messages about the Word in order to discuss anger issues and anger management and, and the role of the Christian, uh, the Christian life in, in being not so angry all the time or being not so easily offended. I felt like it was best to cover that and then to go through these, these three messages on the Word um, back to back. But that, therefore, in verse 21, necessitates that we revisit Verse 19 and 20. So James says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So that, that's the point. That's the point of being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, like we discussed a couple weeks ago, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So track with me here. Let's put it another way, and, and we're going to add in what is implied in order to get through the therefore in verse 21. So, James says, let every person be quick to hear, so to speak, so to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here's where we add what is implied for clarity. So James is like, I want you to produce the righteousness of God, therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Do you see that? So the point here, you might say James's goal over these, these few verses, is that we be fruit-bearing, living, faith-empowered Christians, producing the righteousness of God to the glory of God for the benefit of others. Amen. That's, that's how that works. Let, the, let your uh, light so shine before men that they see your good works, good works, that's the benefit of others, and do what? Glorify God. So to the glory of God, produce righteousness, good works, to the glory of God for the benefit of others. Amen. All right. So that, that would be James's goal in, in these, this group of texts here. The thing is, 
we don't just do that on our own. No one does that on his own. The Bible tells us that, that there is none righteous, not even one. Amen. No, that, that, means, that means you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You're not righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. Amen? So how is it? How is it that James can say this? On what basis can James tell us to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, to receive with meekness the implanted word? Uh, none of that is naturally capable, naturally able to be done in, in man Amen. without some, some kind of change. Yes. And so James gives us a clue. He makes a very astonishing statement. A very astonishing claim at the end of verse 21. He says that this implanted word is able to save your souls. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's remarkable. Don't Too many Christians read the Bible without any kind of effort. They, they lack astonishment at what it says. The Bible is written to make you, your jaw drop Amen. at the wonder and the glory of the truth of God. Amen. It's written to make you stand in awe of Him. I've told you that before. We don't go to the Bible to look at, oh, what, is, what does it tell me about me? We go to find out who God is. Who is, I want to know the God of the universe that created me. And that's what, I'm supposed to stand in awe of him. And this word is supposed to make me do that. It's written to make me do that. You don't just say it is able to save your soul without either being crazy, off your rocker, or knowing the absolute gospel truth. It's that classic argument. Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. One of the three. You, you got to pick one. James is either a lunatic, a liar, or he's telling the truth. The gospel, the word of God, this implanted word is able to save your soul. Amen. Amen. That's an astonishing claim. We talked about that last week from verse 18, we, where we are brought forth by the word of truth. The implanted word is the word of truth. The, uh, James, uh, the word that is implanted is implanted as the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And James says it will, it will save you. you. You can't come to the Father any other way but through the Son. You can't come to Him but through the gospel. That's the only way you get to God. Amen. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what comes next? Four. What do we do when we see four? That same thing as therefore. What's it there for? Why am I not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? For it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. 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 So, the only basis, the only power that we have to do anything in verses 19 through 21 is the completed work of Jesus according to the scriptures, the word of truth. That is implanted, the word of truth that brings us forth into new life. We talked about that last week, how we, we need to be people of the word and speaking the word. It's the word that brings us forth. The gospel gets implanted, and we'll, we'll see a little bit about how that works here in just a bit. It, 
So, so here we are. James wants us to be producers of righteousness, so fruit-bearing Christians. This only happens after the new birth. Amen. We are brought forth by the word of truth. And there's an ongoing process for this producing of righteousness that, that we'll look at that here in a minute, how the word is important to that. But at the end of verse 21, James is like, guys, look, look, I'm not, I'm not changing subjects here. I'm still talking about the same word. It's effectual in saving. It's effectual in sanctifying. And then hopefully, Lord willing, uh, not next week, week after next, when, when I come back, we'll talk about uh, it's effectual in securing. So how does, how does that work? How does that work? The, the, way, the way I see it, there are at least two facets to what we are commanded to do by James that can only be done by faith. Amen. So James says that we are to receive. That's one. And number two is with meekness, the implanted word. Receive with meekness. Now, in Romans 8, verse 7, Paul tells us, that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does, not, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Amen. The mind that is on the flesh, the mind that does, is not born of faith, but is of the flesh, cannot submit to the law of God. Amen. It cannot receive God. That is a mind without faith, without trust, without love for God, a mind that is hostile to him, it will not receive him, and it cannot submit to God's law. Amen. What is his law? His word. The problem is, this is exactly what James tells us to do. To receive and to submit. So something has to happen. We are hostile to the word, but we must receive and submit this word. Something has to happen. Without the, the gift of faith, without it being in, implanted, we cannot submit. Remember that we are saved by grace. That's important that we get that order correct. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And Paul says, not, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. Right? By grace, through faith is our salvation. We didn't do it. It's a gift. Amen. Boy, that's, that's hard to unpack sometimes. I mean, I, I have decided to follow Jesus, but at the same side, I have been chosen from the foundation. So there's a miracle that happens when the gospel is preached mm -hmm. where someone is able to receive it mm. the way that James means receive the gospel becomes implanted and we are brought forth into new life so Receive, number one, the, the first facet of this command that we're not able to do without faith is that we are to receive. We can't, we can't just read past that and, and gloss over it. That's, that's also an astonishing commandment considering that we are hostile creatures 
to the Word of God, to the truth of God, without some kind of act of grace in our lives. It's not like how you receive a traffic ticket. No one receives that willingly. But unless you want to go to jail, you receive it. Right? It's not like that. That's a very unwelcome kind of receiving. This receiving that James is talking about, it means to welcome, to accept with welcoming. It's, the, it's the, how you would receive and embrace from your spouse or, or your children with, with welcoming. Oh, come here, give me a hug. I just, just wrap up in that. It's a very welcome kind of receiving. So we are to receive, which means that we are to welcome. We cannot do that without faith. Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And our receiving must be done with meekness. Again, this can only be done by faith. So receiving, welcoming is done by faith. Receiving with meekness, the manner in which we receive, is done by faith. So literally, when you look at that word meekness, literally it means in the original language uh, gentleness or humility. Gentleness or humility. But the word also carries with it a, a sense of strength under control. If you look at how it was used in, in the Greek contemporary literature of the time, when the Old Testament was being written, how this Greek word praise was being used, the, the Greeks used to do what's called meeking. They would meek a horse. You have a war horse, right? Big, strong battle horse. And they would train it so that it was meeked. It was praise, that's the Greek word, which means great power under control, willing to submit. Amen. That's how that, that was used. Um, it's probably one of the reasons that they chose to translate it meekness here instead of saying receive with humility, which is probably what your King James Version says. Nothing wrong with humble. It captures the meaning, but in, in, in this context, it lacks the aspect of purposefulness, and I think that's important. It's important not to miss it. In this context that James is using it, it, it has to mean something like submission or, or willingness to submit. And, and, and so like we talked about with the Greek horses, they, they were meek. They were great power, but willing to submit under control. And that's how James tells us that we are to receive the word, the implanted word, that's the manner in which we're supposed to receive the implanted word of God with a purposeful willingness to submit. Now think about that. We go to the Bible for instruction with purposeful willingness to submit. I'm getting purposeful from the strength that is implied in the word. Because meek doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean that we don't have agency. We can't make decisions. Jesus certainly wasn't weak. He certainly didn't lack agency. He was able to make decisions, yet the Bible says he was meek. Amen. At any moment, Jesus could have called down the, you know, the, all the armies of heaven to his side, and yet the Bible says he was meek. And yet again, the Bible says he had all authority. So he wasn't without agency. Meek doesn't mean weak. We are to receive the word with purposeful willingness 
to submit. So that means we don't just read the Bible like we read any other book. The Bible is authority. We don't, we don't get to dismiss or, or you know, shoo away certain pieces that we don't like. We read it to submit to it. We read it to do what it says and to believe what it teaches. Amen. When our flesh, which is an enemy of God, comes into conflict with the, the word of truth, we must bring our flesh under submission, purposeful submission, to the word, Amen. not to the flesh. Amen. I remember, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago or so, I got into a little Facebook discussion with someone else about, um, you know, essentially it was about the authority of Scripture, and um, the comment was used as a, a rebuttal to what I had said to say, well, the, the Bible is the living word of God. And I, I wanted to say, well, I don't, I don't think that means what you think it means. People will often use that to explain away pieces of the Bible. Well, the Bible's always changing, or the meaning is always changing. It's alive, and it's, it's transforming, and that's not what it means. It means that it, is, it has the power to save. It has the power to clean. It has the power to sanctify and secure. Amen. Remember the parable of the sower? Yes. Jesus, you know, he tells this parable about a gardener. And this, this guy's, you know, is out casting seed along in his garden. He's throwing seed. It's in Matthew 13. We're going to read it here in just a second. So if you want to turn there. He's throwing seed on the ground. Some of it's falling on the path or the hard ground. Some of it's falling on the rocky, the stony ground. And then some of it falls among the thorns and the weeds. And then the last bit of it falls on the good soil, the good ground. Do you remember that? Amen. Now, so there are four kinds of soil. So there's four kinds of people. And Jesus explains that. So three of them, three of these kinds of people actually received the word. They actually received the seed only the hard soil can be said to have rejected or not received the seed. This Matthew 13, let's, let's read how Jesus explains it, uh, beginning in verse 18. Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So we're talking about the hard ground. This is the person that has a hard heart and uh, he's unreceptive to the word. He did not actually receive the word. He was never actually implanted, just kind of sat there on the surface. And so the birds come and, and, and eat it away. <clears throat> Verse 20. Now we're to look at the rocky ground. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Well, that is good news, isn't it? You mean I don't have to pay for my crimes? I don't have to face judgments for, you know, sins I've committed. I get to go to heaven and live forever. Sign me up for that. Ah, that sounds good. Wonderful story. Great job. You convinced me. Look, so you received it with joy. Arguably, joy is different than meekness. Don't, I'm all about joy. It's the right kind of joy. I'm all about joy. But arguably, joy is different with, than meekness. Look at what happened to him in verse 21. Yet he has no root in him, 
but he endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of that word, on account of the seed, immediately he falls away. So tribulation and persecution on account of the word. Once the word is challenged in your life, there goes the fun of it. Oh, that's ain't fun no more. Once the word is challenged in your life, so much for purposeful and willing submission. In fact, that's, it's the opposite kind of reaction that this person has. It's like a you know, sayonara, see you later kind of reaction. That's not meekness at all. That's pride. It's the pride of self-preservation and even self-exaltation. I won't bend my flesh to what the Word says. I'm going to preserve the flesh because if I'm being challenged, it must be the Word that's the problem. It's not me. So then we cast it out. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the thorny ground, this is the one who hears the Word, but the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, there's no meekness here. Well, not in the sense that James intends us to have meekness toward the Word. There may be meekness present, but it's not toward the Word. It's toward the flesh, toward the deceitfulness of riches and toward the cares of this world. That's who I'm going to submit to. That's my purposeful, willing submission is to the cares of this world. Martha, Martha, why are you cumbered about with so many things? As for the word that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixteen, another thirty. So in the context of James, this is the person who receives the implanted word with meekness. He's a fruit bearer, a righteousness producer. So so we've looked at at meekness, receiving with meekness, and what what that is. Purposeful submission, willingness to submit, a welcome, purposeful, willingness to submit. What about the rest of it in, in James 1, verse 21? He said, pretty astonishing here as well, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. All filthiness, put it away. All of it. Put it away. Rampant wickedness, that means abundant, out-of-control, overrunning wickedness, James says, put it away. Well, thank you, James. <laughs> That's helpful. That sounds like, when you, when you read it, it sounds like it's another command. We are commanded to receive, but it looks like that we are first commanded to put away, Right? But grammatically speaking, if you get into the, the grammar of the original languages, put away isn't a command here. It's actually a participant in the command. The, the only actual imperative, the only actual command in this verse is that we receive. And we receive with meekness. Put away is a participle. You, you have imperatives. In this case, which is uh, receive, and you have participles, which is put away. So quick, quick grammar lesson here. A participle, among other things, what it, what it does is it, it participates in the construction of a verb or an action. It, it, it helps make it, make it whole. It helps, helps describe the doing of it. 
And in this case, the action being commanded is to receive. So, with that in mind, let, let's, let's frame James's statement a little bit different way that, that might fit modern ears a bit better. It is the receiving or the, the welcoming acceptance of the word with meekness, the purposeful willingness to submit, that puts away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Let me say that again. It is the receiving of the word with meekness that puts away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So we got to receive the word, welcome it, with purposeful willingness to submit to it, and that cleanses, that sanctifies, that puts away rampant wickedness and filthiness. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in Ephesians 5, verses 25. He would say that the washing of the water of the Word sanctifies and cleanses. So verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, now he writes this beautiful picture of what sanctification looks like, of what it means to be cleansed. And he gives us some modes of how cleansing works. He says that he might sanctify her, having, this is how sanctification works, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the, the word. So that he might, look at, the, look at the effect, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemished. She's, she's clean, she's sanctified, she's she looks right. She's not dirty or filthy. She's been washed. And this happens because she's washed with the Word. Amen. We are washed, church. We are cleaned with the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Just, just like in life, if you don't bathe regularly, you will begin to stink. Y'all think about that just a minute. Okay. No, I'm serious. If you, don't, if you don't ever wash yourself physically, you're going to be an offense. You're going to walk around in filth. The same thing with your mind. You need a daily. Some of you need a minute by minute washing with the water of the Word. Amen. Hope I didn't move too quickly through that. Let's look at it this way. Back in James 1.21. If, if what James is saying is that we must first put away filthiness and rampant wickedness so that we can then receive with meekness the Word, that doesn't work. Not, not in any practical or spiritual sense. Remember, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. We are dead in our sins. So, so I am incapable of washing away any filthiness or any wickedness. But Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick, and that's that living word, it is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word can separate it. The Word can wash it. The Word can put it away. It's the Word of God that washes and sanctifies you. You know, you you struggle with anger. 
Some of you get real hot-headed. Some of you struggle with depression. You know depression is not of God. You struggle with lust. Wash your mind with the word. And a little word about that. The, the actual word. Amen. Wash your mind with the Bible. Yes. You need a regular diet of Bible. Amen. Scripture. Not, not impressions. Not feelings. Not Christian radio, but the inscripturated Word of God. You need to spend time in it. You need a regular diet of Scripture because the Word of God washes us, sanctifies us, and makes us fertile ground to produce the righteousness of God. Don't rely on your feelings or your impressions, especially if you haven't spent time washing your mind with the water of the Word. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Amen. You haven't washed your mind. You haven't washed your mind with the word. I guarantee you the impressions you're getting are not a God. Amen. And I'll also tell you this. If the impressions you're getting tell you to do something that the word of God does not, it ain't of God. The Lord will never tell you to go after someone else's spouse because he wants you to be happy. Ever. Because that would be in direct contradiction to what he has already said in his word. And if you had washed your mind with the water of the word, if you had received that with meekness, with a willingness to submit, you wouldn't have had that that thought to begin with. Or you would have dismissed it outright. That ain't a God. Get thee behind me, Satan. Look, there is a a way to receive the word that will not do you any good at all. Just like the word that was received, you know, with quotation fingers by the the thorny ground and the the, uh, rocky ground. I mean, it was received there. It was planted, but didn't do any good because there wasn't any willingness to submit. There's no meekness there. Go to the Bible to submit Read it with a passion to receive. Pray and cry out to God that he will open up the scriptures to you and that that you will receive with meekness the implanted word. Every morning before I I do my Bible study time, I, I pray that very thing. I say, Lord, open the riches of your word to me. Wash me by it. Sanctify me by it. Make me clean by it. I will say it's difficult. It's not impossible, but it, it is difficult to be filthy and wicked with Scripture on your mind. Amen. Especially when your attitude towards that Scripture is one of welcome, purposeful submission. The more you cleanse yourself with the Word of God, the more strength you have to walk in the righteousness of God, to the glory of God, for the benefit of others. Amen? Happy Easter. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for your implanted word. Lord, I, I ask you that you help us to always receive it with meekness. Receive it with a willingness to submit to it because you have given it to us for an authority. Lord, and I thank you that, that we have such a, a collection of your wisdom, Father, that we can turn to when we just don't know what to do. Lord, help us to live our lives accordingly. Lord, send us away from here 
enriched, keep us safe, and bring us back here at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.